frozen windows and dandelions. Like, it's not that hard to not have sex with someone. It's not that hard. In my memory, it's like Atlantic City, O Industry, Auto Tip Sling, <laughs> she dies. Hello and welcome to season three of the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's ecstatic to welcome back Kate, my childhood best friend and season one co-host to laugh a little and cry a little at the story and glory of love and friendship in 1988's tearjerker, Beaches. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. You have been so missed. Ah, I've missed you and I've missed everyone. And I'm sorry I had to go away. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes life is like that. <laughs> Often life is like that. So, of Often. course, people want to know where have you been? What have you been up to? What's the good word with you? Yeah. Um, so, I'm still in the Pacific Northwest. Towards the end of season one, as you know, uh, work was getting very hectic for yes. me. I was struggling to to keep up the pod and um, keep up with all the work things. And so work has continued to be very busy. And then I also, uh, you may remember, I got a puppy. Uh, (laughs) We met Nova, I think, in the last episode of season one. I I think maybe. Okay. Uh, And so now she's a little over a year old, but she's very energetic. And so we were very lucky to be able to, in this crazy, crazy market, to be able to get a house with a backyard. So there's been a lot of moving, a lot of homeowner projects. You've been painting like you're nesting for Hillary's new baby in beaches. <laughs> right. But like right. all the time. Yeah. Like it's, it just feels like I'm never going to be done painting. And uh, that's really all I want. In fact, right. I was painting this morning. You can see on my shirt. <laughs> so you're in full nesting mode with your home. Yeah. So it's just, it's just been, and like, there were, there's some things that need to be done to it that require, you know, uh, people to come in and do that work. And if anyone is trying to get things like that done two years into the pandemic, you know, that it's very challenging. So it's just been a lot of coordinating and just, yeah, my life, my life is very busy. In fact, you know that it took a while for me to be able to carve out this spot. I know. I was like, okay, Kate, no pressure or anything, but like, I would really love nothing more than our episode to be the first episode of season three, because I've been recording with other folks and I'm so excited about those episodes. You guys, it's going to be a really, really fun season. I have remarkable guests, but I wanted you to be part of the inaugural episode for season three. Like, can you carve out the time? And I know you've been just so slammed. So thank you for taking the time. I know everyone's really excited to hear from you. And Beaches, I mean, we were super into that movie, or at least I was, and I dragged you along for the ride. Yeah, no. So yeah, we were <laughs> totally into it. And as I was watching it, I was like, why were two 12-year-old girls so into this movie? <laughs> actual saddest. (laughs) I remember watching it as a 12-year-old and being like, that's super sad that she died. But I didn't really, really get 
how absolutely sad it was. I don't know that I cried the millions of times I saw this movie as a kid. And as an adult, even though I remembered so much of the dialogue and not even the dialogue, so much of the way things were said, and yet I was moved to tears and I was like, oh, because I'm older. I get it now. I just, I don't, I don't. Well, and you have children now, right? And so, yeah. So I'm sure that it hits a little differently. And so I went back. I feel like we saw this in the theater. Does that sound right to you? Yes. And then I promptly got it on home video, like as soon as it was available. And I had it on VHS. And I also had the soundtrack and we yes. were obsessed with the soundtrack. I mean, it's still like, it's a good soundtrack. <laughs> it's a fire soundtrack. It holds up to this day. It's fantastic. And so, so much of this film in my memory is wrapped up in you. And so I thought this is perfect. It's about friends. Hopefully nobody's dying right. here, but I, I'm just so excited to talk about it with you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited as well. So, um and it was really fun to revisit, but also oddly in my mind the part with them young yes is like half the movie. Right. <laughs> okay, same. That felt really big to me. Yeah. Then. Yeah, I mean, they were 11, we were 12. I think we just saw ourselves Right. And, but it just seemed like that was like half the movie and then it flashed back to that a bunch. And then I was watching it and I'm like, that is a very small introduction. It's like 15 minutes of the entire film. (laughs) Yeah. And the film is over two hours. So like in total, it's maybe 15 minutes of the film. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so funny how your mind just. Right. And I feel like when we were kids, like you were totally the CC. I was. <laughs> yeah. And I was totally, I keep writing in my notes that her name is Whitney. It's not, it's Hillary Whitney. It's, it's Hillary. Hil- Whitney. Yeah. But she yeah. does look like a Whitney. Right. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like I was totally the Hillary. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like even, I mean, I wasn't trying to be a star when I was a kid, not really, but I was performing. I was doing things. Yes, you right? had that joie de vivre. I was making my friends be Molly while I pretended to be Annie. And I think you very much like you dressed in dresses, very like, you know, f- kind of frilly dresses often. <laughs> I identified with Hillary. My mom did my hair every day when I was a little girl. I had impeccable hair and it was long and I wore dresses often. Yes. Yeah. Now, neither of us were like exceedingly wealthy or exceedingly poor. Like we were just very middle class. Mm -hmm. So for sure, like I think I always identified more with Bette Midler's Okay. Well, then let me ask you this. Am I your hero? Am I the wind beneath your wings, Kate? Because I mean, if I am Hillary. Have I never told you (laughs) you're my hero? Okay, I think we should get into the film because there's a lot to talk about. We should because I have many things to say. Oh, good. I'm really glad. Okay, so let's jump in. This film was released on December 21st, 1988. Solstice. Ooh, winter solstice. Yes. So uh, the budget was $20 million. 
the box office was $57 million. It did real well. It did very well. Yes. And it was directed by Gary Marshall, who, God I bless. know, that's the first note I have. I'm like, oh, Gary Marshall film. <laughs> Gary Marshall. I mean, Gary Marshall directed Pretty Woman, The Princess Diaries, yes. and Overboard. Oh. Overboard. And we love him. And he was Penny Marshall's brother. Right. He just, yeah. And and Carmine is in. He's in it. I know. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, the Big Red Goo is in this film. Right. And so hopefully, like, if anyone is listening who is not Gen X, who is younger than Gen X, you're going to be like, who's Carmine? Uh, <laughs> he's from this show that was, I think, was he originally on Happy Days? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. I only knew him from Laverne and Shirley, but maybe. I can't remember. He might have started on Happy Days and then spun off onto Laverne and Shirley. Okay, this I, think, is, I feel like I should know this. Laverne and Shirley is a spinoff of Happy I th- Days? I think so. Yeah, I think okay. they were like Ooh. a small part of Happy Days and then it spun off okay. into its own okay. show. I mean, sense. it's understandable because I always loved Laverne and Shirley. Oh, same, same. Okay, so this film is based on the 1985 novel, Beaches, by Iris Rayner dart and the original drafts of the script were actually titled remember me which is ironically a very forgettable title <laughs> remember me right right. remember me wait remember what right like what <laughs> i already forgot yeah um and you know it's so funny because i don't and and now i feel a little a little dumb uh but i don't think until this very moment i really I just accepted that it was called Beaches, and I never really thought about why. (laughs) I remember being young and thinking, why is this film called Beaches? Like, they're not at the beach that much, but they actually are. They are, and they met at the beach. Yes. And then, like, so the beach is very significant in their friendship and their lives. But somehow that was completely lost on me (laughs) as a kid. In my memory, it's like uh, Atlantic City. Right. Oh, industry, auto tip sling, (laughs) she dies. Basically. (laughs) Well, 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 you forgot a part. Pouncer, Pouncer, the Wonder Cat. Oh, yes. I have a note about Pouncer, Pouncer, the Wonder Cat. Yes. We will talk about that when we get there. Same. Exactly the same. Like those those were the high points. And that's what I remember. Mm Mm-hmm. And strangely, the sorrow was really sort of lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because we were so focused on Pouncer, Pouncer, the Wonder Yeah, cat. I think And so. like the cheating husband. I mean, I must have n- known that that's what was going Kate, on. that's my robe. Friends, that's very insulting. Like. Oh, my God. It's the actual worst. I mean, so many things about that are terrible, but, but that she's in her robe. I know. <sighs> Okay. I feel like we're getting... That's okay. You know what? We're just going with it. It's cool. It's fine. We're just excited to be here. Okay. So I have noticed that season three, Lori, is much more fluid (laughs) than season one, Lori. I'm actually not. My brain still feels a little scrambled when things get out of order, but I'm trying to come to peace with it because I I can't be so linear. Yeah. No, you're doing great. Well, I'm trying, but... Yeah. Yeah. You are my hero. (laughs) I am the wind beneath your wings. You are. And in this episode, you know what? You get to be the George Michael and I'll just, I'll be the Andrew Ridgely here. It's cool. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that, that I was just, well, really you were voted the Andrew Ridgely. So by default, I was, it was voted the, the, George the George Michael. Michael. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. okay. Let's start at the beginning. So the film begins with adult Cece 
obviously played by Bette Midler, rehearsing for her upcoming show at the Hollywood Bowl. I hate the Hollywood Bowl. I have feelings about the Hollywood Bowl. They screwed me over big time. Wait, was that Bob Dylan and the Bob Dylan and Paul Simon concert? Yeah, that that's a story for another episode. But yeah, I have no love for the Hollywood Bowl, but she is rehearsing under the boardwalk. Okay. Why do I associate that song with Bruce Willis? Was that like an episode of Moonlighting that you caught when you were like nine? (laughs) I don't know. I like in my brain, when I hear that song, I hear Bruce Willis singing it with like dark sunglasses on. Does someone know? Did I make that up? Is it like how we thought there was a robot in the Guns N' Roses? <laughs> oh my God. I never told you this. I forgot. Okay. Sorry, guys. Quick tangent here. I need to tell Katie something. <laughs> Kate. <laughs> so I have had now two people come back to me and tell me there was something. Oh my gosh. Wait. Have you? I shared this on my Facebook because uh, I'm Gen X and I still use Facebook about. I can't remember what they call it. It's some kind of syndrome, like the Mandela syndrome. Oh, or yes, something. the Mandela effect. Yeah. And like they talk about how like Shaggy like doesn't actually have an Adam's apple that's really yes. prominent and all that stuff. So so now I'm like, did we like jump into a different time? And like in our time originally, <laughs> there was a robot in that. And like there's it's kind of like that movie yesterday, right? Like we like somehow like are remembering a past that Hardly anyone else does. <laughs> you are entirely more woo than me. So like, <laughs> it makes sense that you might think that. I don't know, but I have had two people come back and tell me like there was most definitely a cyborg in that video. Thank you to those two people. <laughs> but I don't know. I promise not to make the rest of this episode about that. <laughs> it's interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, b- back, back to, to beaches. beaches. <laughs> We just want you to reminisce with us about season one. (laughs) It was a good season. It was fun. It was fun. It was like, I have for sure like missed it. Uh, Yeah. You know, and you know, I'm playing like older episodes on repeat and um, it's been fun to revisit those. Yeah, for sure. I've listened to them. I've listened to your new ones. It's been fun to listen to all your different guests. And I'm excited for the ones that I I have a little inside track. So I know who's coming. You know uh, who's coming. Yeah, In season three. So I'm excited for all of you. It's going to be fun. So all right. She she's at rehearsal. She receives a note and she like bolts out. We're like, what is even happening? She's trying to get a flight to San Francisco. She can't get it. Fog fogs lift. She goes and she rents a car and she's driving all night. And as she's driving in the pouring rain, she is reminiscing about her best friend, her life with her best friend, Hillary. This is when we get to the origin story of their friendship. Right. Because as someone who has taken many road trips, you have a lot of time to do a (laughs) lot of thinking on road trips. Yes. And she does. And this was before the era of podcasts and specifically the Untitled Gen X podcast. So she's got nothing to do but think. She's losing radio signals. That's a long drive. It is a long drive. It's rainy. Their origin story begins when they were 11 years old. And we see a proper, well-dressed, well-groomed little girl, Hillary, crying. She's like on the beach. And I think it's the steps up to the boardwalk. Under the stairs is a little girl, the fantastic, world-famous child wonder, 
C.C. Bloom. Ta-da. Played by <laughs> Maya Bialik. Of Yay. course, from Blossom and the Big Bang Theory. And she has an awesome podcast that I listen to. And, and anyway, she's this redhead, curly, wild-haired girl in her pink sequin, fringy dress. And she pops out from under the stairs and she asks poor Hillary if she wants a drag of her cigarette. Right. (laughs) Prim and proper 11-year-old Hillary has been offered a smoke from Cece. The wild Cece Bloom. And Hillary is like, I'm lost. I can't find my way back to the hotel. And, And Cece offers to walk her back. But just then her mother, Leona, who she calls Leona... that's not a woman that's my mother (laughs) she arrives and she's like Cece you've got this awesome audition we got to go and Leona is played by the amazing Lainey Kazan I know and love her from my big fat Greek wedding I think she is phenomenal and she took this role just to be able to work with Bette Midler oh wow you know, she's only like three years older than Bette Midler and she plays her mother. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So Hillary tags along to the audition because Cece's going to walk her back to her hotel after. And we see Cece perform the glory of love and she is fantastic. But I will have you know that Maya Bialik's singing voice was not used in the film. Okay, so that's so interesting because it sounds like her. It does. But I was like, how have I, how did I not remember that Mayim Bialik could sing like this? Because, like, damn, that kid's got some pipes. Yeah, and I actually think she could sing, but that Midler wanted a, to use a different voice that sounded more like her voice as a kid. Mm-hmm. So that's why they went with another voice. Well, they did a good job. They did. It seemed like she was singing it. I mean, I bought it. Once the number is finished, her adversary, who she calls the hand-walking queer, which mm, comes in and performs and Cece's super pissed at her mom because she's like, you're blabbing your mouth. This girl gets the audition because you can't keep your mouth shut. They get in a big fat fight. And this is when Leona tells her, you know what? Let's just move back to the Bronx and Cece is game. Leona talks about how she doesn't like it. Like she doesn't, she's not happy. She wants to go back to the Bronx. So I was like, wait, did, was she just so excited that she shared about the audition or did she like sabotage CC's possibilities because she just wanted to be done with it. So she let, Oh, that's interesting. Right. Um, I kind of forgot that Cece even had a dad because we never see him. And I don't get the impression now that I'm older watching it that Leona and her husband are divorced. I think they're no, actually they like each other. Like, I just thought that Leona was a single mom. I did too. But no, they seem like she seems to want to get back to, to the father. Right. Um, so it does seem and it, it kind of fits in with like what we learn later in the movie between the two of them that like, this was really driven by Cece. Cece was the one who wanted to be famous, who wanted to perform. uh, And the mom kind of goes along with it versus I think the narrative we often see is the the mom wants the kid to be a star and the kid reluctantly does it, which is sort of what I imagine the story of that little girl who walks on her hand. Yeah. 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 uh, To be so. 
Yeah. So the two girls, they become fast friends. They go to the iconic photo booth. They take the silly pictures. Do photo booths like that still exist? They do. Okay. That makes me happy. Yes. And then they exchange their information on the back of the photo strip. They tear it in half and they agree to become pen pals. And then we see their relationship unfold through letters, which all how sweet letters, like remember letters and getting letters and like having, I always wanted a pen pal, but I just never managed to make it happen. It's just so sweet. So like we hear in their voiceover work and we see them, you know, growing up and writing each other letters, Hillary, you know, she spends her summers at the beach house. Mm-hmm. Hence beaches, Katie. <laughs> right. Hence beaches. Cause they met on a beach. Right. And then, and then there's this beach house. There's this beach house in the family. Yes. And, you know, she's taking horse riding lessons and, and Katie, she's sick of words like well-bred cultured proper And then we see her as a college student and she says she's decided to study law to have an effect on the world. She's going to go to Stanford. Think like she's fourth generation. She's legacy. Right. And she's going there because it's co-ed. Right. Because she wants to be around. Wants to meet some boys. Yep. Meanwhile, Cece is taking dance lessons in a basement. She hates her hair. She hates school. She likes singing lessons. And then as an adult, we learn that Leona moved to Miami. Cece's now on her own. She has a flat. She's got a can of mace and a subscription to Variety. So she is all set. So Cece's out to live a dream and Hillary is out to make a difference. Okay. Right. You know, Cece's trying to make a living. She's basically a starving artist. We see her like trying to audition. It's real cattle call stuff. Like she's, she's paying her dues. Right. I, did you notice her pants at the one audition that she goes to just before the guy comes and sings K Sera Sera? <laughs> I was like, I want those pants so badly. They're so 70s. <laughs> They're like browns and oranges and like, you know, loose kind of like, oh, yeah. They're great. Go they were super granola. Yeah. yeah they were they cute. Were great. I really want them. They were cute. And, you know, we learn through the series of letters that Cece is lonely and depressed and she never gets any work, but now she's going to try her hand at being a jazz singer. And this is when we get to see her perform. I've still got my health, which is such a cute number. And she's just God, Bette Midler. She is so talented. That Good woman. Lord. Yes. Like it's astonishing her level of talent. It is like, she, and she can sing in so many different styles I and know. like, she's just, yeah, Bette Midler. She's just so good. Like, I think the movie, the big movie for her that came after this one, was one of them was for the boys. Remember where she was oh, a yeah. like a nineteen forties like a USO, like USO singer. singer. Yes, yeah. and that soundtrack is so good too. I mean, yeah. Well, and her voice is so unique. It's like it's beautiful, and it's. It's very one of a kind. And sometimes when people have a one of a kind voice. That's like, not and not way. in a good way. Um, <laughs> but hers is great. Like we see her performing like this jazzy number and then she can do like ballads and then she can do Broadway and she can like, she's just. Yeah. Like kind of folky music, jazzy music, yeah, poppy so music. Like she can do it all. So good. Oh, bet. Oh, bet. <laughs> I love you, bet. So this is when Whitney walks in with her bags. 
And she like approaches Cece and Cece thinks she's coming on to her. Right. <laughs> Uh, and she has a bow in her hair, Hillary, because Hillary has a bow Aww. in her hair so much. She's so <laughs> right? buttoned up. Because yes. it's like, what is it, like the late 60s, early 70s in New York City. And she's got this like very prim and proper bow I in know. her hair. And she she takes off her hat and she's like, Cece, don't you recognize me? And then she's like, oh, my God, Hillary? God, in my notes, I wrote Whitney everywhere. Forgive me if I call I her Whitney her. because that's what I wrote in my notes. So um, she is thrilled to see her. And we learn that Hillary just walked out of her life, Kate. She walked out of her life, her job, her apartment, and her father. And her money. And her money. She was feeling suffocated. And do you know that I was like, Hillary was the original Rachel Green. Oh, yes, yes. I was like, wait a minute. I've seen this storyline before. <laughs> mm-hmm. So She walked out of it all. She needs a place to stay. Cece's like, you can stay with me. And of course, Hillary is used to a different kind of lifestyle, different kind of accommodations. And here she takes poor Hillary to her apartment with the drunk homeless woman on the stoop. Her apartment is so small. The bathtub's like in the kitchen. They have no heat. Bang, bang, bang. Send up the heat. Right. They have to hit the radiator to get the person on the lower floor to like... I guess maybe like if the person on the lower floor doesn't have the heat turned on, it won't go. I guess. I don't don't know. know. But like the house is so tiny. It's a tiny little apartment. And like, it's just full of stuff. Hillary's looking around and she cries. And we're thinking like, is she crying? She's like, I can't stay in this shithole. But no. (laughs) What am I going to do? Because she is finally free, Kate. She's finally free. She feels very liberated. Very liberated. She yes. did because did she come to the city? She did she already have the job with the ACLU? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I think she like legit dropped everything, packed up, didn't know what she was doing. No, moved in, and then she was like, "Okay, I got to get a job." Yeah. Okay. But she wanted to make a difference, so she gets her job with the ACLU. Now, Cece has moved on to performing singing telegrams, which. I guess this was a thing. Have you ever been a part of one? Have you seen one in action, like IRL? Like it's a, it seems like a movie TV trope. Right. I wrote that in my notes. Like, do you know anyone who's ever gotten a real live singing telegram? Because like in Elf, like that's the whole premise that they think Buddy the Elf is there to see his dad as like okay. a singing whatever message. And um, in Friends, they use the singing telegram. They've used it right. a couple it's times. It's always a thing. And I'm like, I've never. I, it would make me so uncomfortable to be on the receiving end of a singing telegram. Right. That you have to stand there. Like, send me chocolates and flowers, please. (laughs) Like, I have to stand there and, like, at least pretend for the poor singing telegram person to be enjoying it. But I actually want to die inside a little bit. Right. I mean, like, Christmas carolers is one thing. Like, okay, that's kind of sweet and quaint. Uh, But, like, if you've ever either participated in a singing telegram, (laughs) ordered a singing telegram, especially if you've received a singing telegram, please let us know. What's that like? Did it feel good? Or did you just want to die? Imagine someone coming into your place of business and all your coworkers are around. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know. Hard pass. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she's a singing telegram performer and she's dressed up like a bunny. Yes. She sings a lovey dovey telegram 
to John, played right. by John Hurd. John is impressed with her voice. And luck would have it, Kate. He is the artistic director of a theater company called The Falcon Players. And he invites her to audition. He does. And she's so excited. But Hillary took her to this place so she could do the singing telegram and needs to go. So Hillary comes to pull her away. Right. Because Hillary is late for like a rent strike, some sort of rally. Yeah. Something's going on. And I somehow as a child completely like missed the thing between Hillary and John. Oh, you did? Yeah, like I didn't really remember, or maybe I didn't miss it, but I didn't remember it. Uh, because John is like, oh, like, are you on your way to an audition? You look so nice. And she's like, oh, no, I'm a lawyer. Um, and then they're like all into each other. And- right. He is he is taken with her and Cece right. sees it. Yep. Cece gets a part with the Falcon players, a little two-line part that is fraught with meaning. And um, she's just kind of expected to put her time in right, with them until maybe something better comes along. So we see her at the Falcon players. Like I have this bullshit two lines. I'm more talented than this. Right. But as anyone who's ever been an actor knows, like sometimes the leads don't go to the most talented people. Just this is saying. True. There's always some <laughs> politics involved. Yes. There's always something. Then from this little two line part with the Falcon players, we see her in the steampunk Sergeant Pepper spectacular that is O Industry. And it's very avant-garde. It scared me a lot when I was a kid. So this was so interesting to rewatch as an adult who has a degree in theater and enjoys theater. And because when I was a kid, I actually thought that that play was meant to be like like, you know how on Friends, Joey's always in these, like, horrible plays? Right. That they have to go watch? Oh, you thought this was, like, a terrible thing. I thought it was meant to be bad. Okay. So that's how I interpreted it. And then when I was watching, I was like, this is so cool. Like, I would love to see a play like this. Now I want to know what the rest of it's about besides just this closing number. <laughs> Right, right. And then, of course, it gets really good reviews, which I guess, I think I think just the oddness, it was so unlike anything I'd ever been exposed to. Absolutely. As a 12-year-old, whereas I have for sure seen productions now that, like, probably rival it in terms of how, like, avant-garde they are and things like that. So I have a really different perspective. So it was really fun to see it and then be like, oh, yeah. And it was critically acclaimed by reviews, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought that those masks were just the scariest. Right? Oh, hers at the very end. Oh, oh, hers is the worst. Oh, they were like so scary. And then they remove the masks and the music is so like there's just so much steam. Then there are these faceless men. Right. And they take the masks off. Right. And I mean, kind of kind of prescient I have to say about like the like way American workers are treated you know yes absolutely and it was a commentary on that yeah I remembered all the words I'm like industry charity faith oh oh. it's a good song it's good like Like, I I wish it was a whole play can somebody make the whole play because then they have the people with when they come to do their curtain calls and like somebody has like a gas mask on and I'm like right what happens in the rest of this play? (laughs) 
it's good. But like, I remember the way the choreography of that number. And yeah, then with the very, masks, like, stilting it was scary. Like, yeah, it was scary. It made me yeah. wildly uncomfortable, but now I'm like into it. I Yeah, no, I was super into it. But as a kid, I thought it was supposed to be like a bad and you're like, this Artsy. is the dumbest, weirdest thing I ever saw. Right. In my I was life. like, oh, like poor Cece. Like, <laughs> this is all the parts she can get. Like, <sighs> that's just so sad. And poor thing. And to think she's such a talent. <laughs> right. I thought it was meant to demonstrate how she just has to keep getting these like shit parts to right. like, you know. Right. And what's funny to me, and I might be jumping ahead just a little bit, but then so what's that? Oh, sizzle, sizzle is what the sizzle auto 76. Line on it. Yes. And like that, so that's like a Broadway show. Right. But like that one seems almost more ridiculous than the avant-garde one, right? Like um, yes. anyway. Well, you know, Hillary's husband certainly thinks so. Uh, and for sure I missed that uh the first time around. I didn't realize how he was like, oh, like mm, this is so lowbrow. Right. When it's supposed like, to be fun, like but it's, and it's on like spam a lot. Right. Like it's yeah. it's supposed to yeah, okay. So anyway, at the what do they call that? The opening night cast party? Is that a cast party where you're waiting for the reviews and I don't know. We always had our cast parties on closing closing night. Yeah, but, closing night. Okay. Um, I don't know. Yeah. The opening night party, Hillary and John are hitting it off. And they go off to talk privately. And this upsets Cece. She's like, wait a minute. I like John. They only have eyes for each other. Like you said, the reviews came in. Like They're good. They're positive. So, okay. But Cece's upset. She gets drunk. She does. She was a big hit. She was. <laughs> that's exactly how she said it. <laughs> I was, I a, was big a big hit. hit. That's right. <laughs> She comes home and she straight up asks Hillary, did you sleep with him? And Hillary's like, yes. And I feel sick about, about what I've done. And, and it showed a complete lack of character. And I promise never to see him again. And Cece gets over it like way faster than I would have. Thoughts on that? Well, I mean, Cece didn't really have a claim to him, you know? No, but like, these are two best friends and they tell each other everything, right? So Hillary had to have known, had to have known how much Cece liked him. Even if there was nothing yeah. there, even if she had a connection with him, she could have said, hey, Cece, I know you really like him, but I feel like I have a connection with him. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's true. Like Cece opened her home to her. Yeah. He okay. took her You make in. a good point. Yeah. Like, I, would have been I guess pissed. I was thinking like they didn't really, I don't know. Oh, it's a tough one. But yeah, I mean, I don't did. actually think it is a tough one. Like, it's not that hard to not have sex with someone. It's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. It's true. Um, But like, I guess what I'm thinking is that like, Cece maybe initially was interested in him, but like the connection between Hillary and John of course, happened. have a conversation. Let's yeah, talk about yeah. it. Yeah, a conversation would have been nice. Like, and and so unlike Hillary to just like hop into bed with him. I think she surprised herself that she did Which it. Which I don't know that we need that kind of slut shaming, but like in <laughs> in in 1988, that's that and was... that's how she felt about herself. And I know they drank champagne at the plaza, so you know. Hillary asks her, "Should I move out?" And Cece's like, "No." <laughs> She's like, it's fine. No, we're, we're cool. So, okay, fine. 
But Hillary's got to leave because her father is sick. And so she goes off and Cece's on her own. And this is when we find out through a series of letters that, you know, her father's not doing well. He's, he's not improving and she's got to stay. And, and she meets a lawyer named Michael. He has good breeding, a good background and a good body. So like Kate, what more could you ask I mean, he for? just checks all the boxes. He really does. She ends up marrying him. Right. That like he was helping settle the estate and they fell in love and, you know, but maybe don't make major decisions like in the first year after you lose somebody really important in your life. Just, just a thought. I think that that's really sage advice. And I think that that's something that people say all the time, probably for good reason. But the fact of the matter is, I think when you're in grief and you are just in such a low and dark place, like any light, any opportunity to feel better, like you're going to take it. I feel like that's something that people do just for survival. Like I understand why people do it. I, yeah. I mean, it's kind of that any port in a storm kind of idea, right? But uh, like, just try not to just, if I you're mean, out in terms there, of longevity, like, you know, yeah. Like if you're out there and you've experienced some significant loss recently and you're pondering, like, I don't know, doing some, like just even, I mean, things like don't cut your hair. I was like- just going to say, <laughs> you know what? Cut those bangs. I don't care what anybody <laughs> says, cut them, cut them. People say don't cut bangs when you're like after breakup, fuck that shit. Cut those bangs. Do it, girl. I don't know. It's like everyone who cuts bangs lives to regret it. I don't believe that that's true. I just like cut the tiniest little like wisp of bangs, like side bangs. I remember. And it didn't work out for me, but it was also like right before the pandemic hit. It was it was kind of chaos. It was not the time to have side bangs. Um, well, and two, you have much more of an emotional attachment to your hair than I, I have do. to my, I had this conversation uh, on Patreon in regard to um, the episode where Felicity cuts off all of her gorgeous hair oh, right. uh, with our mutual friend, Gwen. Yes. yes. And we talked all about, you know, that emotional attachment to hair and what that could look like thing about bangs is like, they're so hard to grow out. <laughs> Once you you just have... pin them back. It's fine. I know that I probably am not the popular opinion here. And I also know this literally has nothing to do with beaches. So we can move no. forward. Tangent. <laughs> Tangent. Sorry about that. Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, John thinks that Cece should really move away from the Falcon players. You know, like you're too talented for this. It's time to move on. And she soon offered a Broadway review called Sizzle. And she tells Hillary, it's in the worst possible taste. It's vulgar. It's gross. It's dirty. And you know what? It's going to make me a huge star. And Hillary thinks you're too talented for all of that, which I think is really easy to say when you're someone who comes from means. Yeah, I think that when you come from means, you can be like, You have options. You have many more options for sure. And so, um, but also, I mean, even though it's body, even though it's like all of these things, it's sort of in line with the larger than life personality that Cece has. Yes. It's so boisterous and outrageous and so on brand. Like it's hard to imagine anyone else filling that role quite as well. Right. So John and Cece start spending time together. Like he tells her, I miss, I missed you. 
I tried to call you, right? See, he's like, where were you yesterday? I tried to call you all day. And, uh, and right. And she's like, oh, my answering machine must not have been working because there was a time where if you were not in your house, people could not get a hold of you. (laughs) (laughs) What? Those were the days. Yes, it's very true. So they start spending a lot of time together. And Cece tells Hillary in a letter, she's going to take the sizzle gig because she's going to be rich. And you know what? God bless. Right. And I mean, also, she's a performer. It's a Broadway show. Like, why in the world wouldn't you take it? Yes. Cece and John continue their relationship. And she straight up just suggests that they get married. (laughs) Like, hey. Okay. but So like. So one morning they wake up together. Presumably they've had sex multiple oh, yeah, times totally. prior to this. Uh, and and she's like, um, I thought that you said you loved me last night. Yeah. And he was like, huh? What? And she says, like, something is that just something say? you do? Or right. yeah. And and then he says this, and he says no, and she kind of doesn't believe him. And he says, I'm a womanizer, not a liar. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, they're getting married in front of the Justice of the Peace. <laughs> yes. And you know who played the Justice of the Peace? Who is that? Okay. His name is Hector Elizondo. And he is oh, the Pretty hotel- Woman. Yes. Yeah. He's the hotel manager in Pretty Woman. We love him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I like have in my notes, they got married. People get married in this movie very quickly. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. There's no courting. It's a it's a common theme throughout the film. We'll talk more about it later. We will. Obstetrician. Yes. Um. <laughs> a doctor. A doctor. I can't believe I'm marrying a doctor. A doctor. <laughs> so when they get married, John immediately has a very oh shit look on his face. Immediately. Right after. And right. then this is when they kiss and she slaps him. Right. And he's like, why did you do that? And she's like, because I want you to always remember this day. <laughs> it's the happiest moment of my life. And I never want you to forget it. Does that make yeah. sense? <sighs> so you might be interested to know, Kate, that in the book, John is revealed to be a pedophile. Oh, I know. Like he's so truly, for the most part, likable in this film. They don't right. have like a terrible divorce. They're very kind and supportive of each other always. He oh, yeah. so like in the book, she leaves him because he has this like I mean, maybe that would make sense to me. I kind of yeah. hope that was the case. I ca- but I sort yeah. of feel like that is an unnecessary plot twist. But yes. I don't know. I can't judge because I have not read the book. Nor have I. Also, there's something about the way that the actor who plays John uh, that he looks that reminds me of John Corbett. And so like, I can see it. Yes. It just 100%. like hundred percent makes Like I love John Corbett. <laughs> and John Corbett was in my big fat along with the woman who played Leona. Uh, there's some, there's like this weird thing. Yes. And like ever since Northern exposure, I have just found him like so completely endearing. And so I just can't hate a character that looks like John Corbett. Yeah. <laughs> So this is when Hillary and Michael travel to New York to see Cece perform Sizzle on Broadway. Right. And I'm sorry. And all of its body glory. Dude, it's fucking fantastic. Can we agree? It's so good. Like whoever wrote the Otto Titzling song. Uh, hello, Kate. Did you know this song was actually on Bette Midler's 1986 album, Mud Will Be Flung Tonight? I need to double check. I think Bette Midler may have written it. Oh my gosh. 
it's just so fun and genius and like it's so good like I love it so much and like all of the stuff that goes along with it and like I know all the words I still know all the words from when I was 12 yeah yeah because do you buy a titsling or do you buy a brassiere the musical theater actresses with their giant boobs. Right. It's hilarious. Right. Like when Aida is out there with like yes. her, you know, and then like she gets them all supported and she's like, oh. <laughs> because let's face it, however you feel about bras and if you are somebody who just likes to let the girls be free, I support you. But there is nothing like putting on a bra that like feels good, looks good, you can wear it for hours. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, yeah, my girls are happy right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, the other side of that coin is there is nothing better at the end of the day than taking that sucker off. This is so true. Like my husband has told me, like, I know once you take off your bra, we're done for the night. Like we're not going anywhere. We're not going to run out to do anything because you are not putting it back on. It's like the signal. It's the, like, and I have decided I am done. Right. Yes. I'm done. I'm going to unhook it, do the magical pull through my sleeve thing. Which men seem to still be so fascinated by. It's like the science of that is more than their brains can handle. They just think it's amazing. They're like, how did you do that? That's because they struggle to just get it off. Like, in general. <laughs> <laughs> they have bad memories of being like, you know, young men being like, I can't, I can't get the What is this contraption? Oh my <laughs> Lord. Yes. So did you notice though, the villain, Philip D. Brazier, Brazier, he is dressed exactly, almost exactly like the peculiar purple pieman from Strawberry Shortcake. You know, now that you mentioned that, yes. It's like legit. I, maybe I'll make a side-by-side for Instagram and post it because, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's apparently the look that says, I'm the villain. I'm the villain. I stole the titsling and rebranded it the brassiere. And I don't exactly remember, even though I was a full strawberry shortcake stan, I don't really remember the purple Pyman's deal. Was he out to like steal their... Recipes since what did they do? What did, did he this- want to bake strawberry shortcake into a pie? Ew, <laughs> it's a dark turn. I don't know. Like, like, what was he trying to get or do I or think, stop? Well, like, th- okay, so what, what, what were the other characters in strawberry shortcake? There was like shortcake? apricot, somebody, and there was orange marmalade, and I think he was just like the he, you know, like they were all the good sweets. And he was the bad sweet. The purple. Pu- I don't, I don't really remember. I need to go back. I, I. Yeah. He was the villain. I just, was, I don't, I don't really he, know. So how, he looks he like Philip it. D. Brazier or Philip D. Brazier yeah, looks like so him. Funny. So yeah. Of course, Hillary's husband finds this whole thing in super poor taste. Like we said, he tells Hillary, like, look, quick dinner. Then we got to get out. Like he is not here in support of Hillary and her lifelong friendship with CeCe. Right. It's very sus. It's it's something that needs to be examined. He's not really a pleasant person. Like he like maybe checks all these like highfalutin boxes for Hillary, but right. like he's not really there for her. No, and he's and he's kind of a snob. Like when they go, you know, he's fake. Like they go to their apartment to bet and John's yeah. apartment. Sorry, I'm CC and John. Yeah, CC and John's One apartment. One and the same, yes. You know, and it's very like 
new money, right? It's like, it's so new money. And then like those pictures of her, the three pictures in a <laughs> right? row. Yeah. Of her and like those really, really red walls. It, it's right, a with lot the to gold. the eye. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's not new money. Right. And, and he's like, oh, it's great. But you can tell that he's just like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, they're clearly cut from different cloth. Yes. And you know, it's all, it's all glossy and stuff. And, and Cece's kind of acting like an asshole. I mean, let's call yeah. it for what it is. She's like, oh, what did you think of the show? What did you think of me? Like, like, right. look, look at me, look, look at what I have. Look at all the things. Aren't I fantastic? Like it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. There was a lot going on. And so Cece, meanwhile, is just like jabbing Hillary with all kinds of like really crappy microaggressions about her decision oh, like, to what do stop you do? working. Exactly. Yeah. She's like, like, how do you keep busy? Like doing what? And like Hillary's telling her like, oh, well, I do this thing. I do that thing. Da, 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 da. And it was like, none of it was good enough for Cece. There's just so much weird tension. They have clearly changed a lot. I feel like there is a time and probably about this time in their lives um, where you've sort of started to go in the direction that you're going to go in, right? Like you've kind of established where your life is headed, which isn't to say it couldn't change later, but it just kind of, that's the trajectory that you're on. And I think that you're sort of fiercely, like you want to be making the right decision. And so for you to feel better about the decision that you're making, you sort of have to make everyone else's decision, like not as good as yours. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's going on. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just a weird developmental, like adult developmental milestone, because I feel like much like Cece, I did not take a traditional path in life. And so I had to sometimes, I don't think I did it by like saying things to people, but sometimes in my mind, I had to sort of pep talk myself about like how my life was better than other people's Mm. because it made me feel more comfortable with the choices I'm making versus like now in my life, I'm just comfortable with the choices I'm making and I'm comfortable with the choices that other people make. And there's no sense of like, I have to defend where I'm at, you know, but I think that they're kind of going through that place in their life. And I think too, that when you're friends with someone for a really long time, I think it's easy to peg someone and think they're always going to be the person that you have known them to be. Okay. And so sometimes in friendships, there's not a lot of room for evolution. And when someone begins to change, you start to resent it because it's like, you are the one thing I could count on to be this way and think this way and support me in this way. And now that you're changing and you're becoming someone I don't quite recognize, it's uncomfortable for me. And so therefore, I mean, Cece's deciding to shit on it, but everyone processes that differently. But it is sort of strange when you think you know somebody so well, and they're very, very close to then be like, I almost don't even know you anymore. You automatically kind of take it as a bad thing when it's not a bad thing. It's just different. And you weren't maybe prepared for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. And I think at a certain point in your life, your friends are kind of like your family, like your chosen family. And then people start to sort of build their own families. And that dynamic changes. And I think when it first starts to happen and you're not the person building a family, it's very jarring and you feel kind of like, wait, this person doesn't care about me anymore. They're, you know, like their priorities have shifted. What happened? 
and it's just normal. It's just how life goes, but it, it's, it is jarring at first. And you kind of feel like what, what happened to my friend? Why, like, why are they all of a sudden like exhausted and you know, like not wanting to go do stuff? And, yeah. um, and so, yeah, I think it's just a part of transitions that you go through when you know people for a really long time. And I mean, okay. So tensions are building between these two and I will, in this case, I'm blaming Cece. She's being a total asshole. Okay. Yeah. She's being really, really terrible. And the next day the ladies are at the department store and you know, Hillary reveals that she can't wait to have a baby. And Cece says she understands that. And Hillary's like, oh, really? You want I'm a baby? <laughs> surprised you would ever consider motherhood because you're so obsessed with your career. And then Cece confronts Hillary about being a bitch since she got there, which I don't actually think Hillary was being a bitch. I think Hillary was made to be put on the defensive. Yeah. It starts getting loud and impolite and embarrassing in the department store. And Cece tells her, you tried to be an interesting person, but look at you now. You've reverted to type. You're nothing but a small-minded, tight-ass little snob these days. (gasps) That's harsh. And then Hillary's like, how would a pretentious little climber like you know that? And then Cece accuses her of being jealous. And Hillary's like, jealous of what? Your new money or your marriage of convenience? Oh, burn. Because, right? Although those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Because, like, she kind of had a marriage of convenience also. That's true. We see Hillary on the plane going home. And, you know, this was very interesting to me, though. Because while I don't think that John and Cece have a great love between them. Mm -hmm. What they do have is a real friendship because she's crying to him about the state of things with, with Hillary. Whereas Hillary gets up from her seat on the plane, mm -hmm, goes to the bathroom to cry because she can't have this conversation with her husband. Right. Goes to the bathroom at the back of the plane. Right. Like not even the first class bathroom to cry. Right. And I think it just demonstrates like her life isn't all it's cracked up to be. No, right. Most certainly not. Although she can't wait to have a baby, which right. mm, baby's not going to fix anything. Let me tell yes. you, never have a Band-Aid baby. Never. Yeah. Don't have a Band-Aid baby. Don't have an open relationship to fix your marriage. Like Oof. never going to help. Don't do it. Never. Don't do it. So, Okay. Cece, she's had some time. She's had some distance. She's trying to reach out to Hillary. She realizes she was shitty. She's trying to make it right. She continues to write Hillary. Her marriage to John is not going great. She needs a friend more than ever. And Hillary just keeps returning the letters to send her. It's really, really cold. I don't know. Thoughts on that? I don't... (laughs) I don't think that I would return the letters to sender in that circumstance. Like I might not respond, open them or respond to them. But I, I think I would feel like, well, maybe at some point I'm going to calm down and then I can go back and read these and see what they say. Because like, also she doesn't know, like those letters could be just like attacking her more, you know what I mean? Okay. That's true too. But I do think the return to center, sent, sent, return to sender, send, oh my God, why can't I say this? Return to sender. Return to sender. Although returning to center is also useful <laughs> and helpful. Uh, return to sender seems really kind of spiteful and mean. 
Yeah. And so this is when Cece gets a huge dose of reality from her mama, Leona. She travels to visit her in Miami in that bedazzled black leather dress on the beach, which looks so right. awkward. People are like, what is she doing? Who is that? They're like, that's Cece Bloom. That's Cece Bloom. And Cece tells her mom, John doesn't pay enough attention to me. I'm going to leave him. I'm going to leave him. And Leona's like, you always wanted too much attention. You wear people out. And she reveals this is why she moved away. Like her mom left her because she couldn't give enough. Like she was just tired. She was tired. Yeah. Like that was a rough scene for me to watch because like she's a lot for sure. I think particularly I, I have a fear of people telling me I'm too much. And so, like, I was like, oh, this is, like, my worst fear. <laughs> um, but, like, and- if your own mom can't tell you that, who can't? Like, I mean, she needed to hear it, Kate. She did. Like, it was, yeah. And I I mean, I, I do, I, I like to think that I'm not quite as uh, overwhelming as Cece Bloom. But that was some, that was some tough love there. <laughs> like- <laughs> and her mom told her, you shouldn't leave someone for not paying enough attention to you because sooner or later... You're going to have to leave everybody. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That was some tough news, but not inaccurate. No. So Cece, you know, comes back. We learn. Cece comes back to New York. This is when John tells Cece, like, look, Cece, I was never interested in the big time. I want to stay with my theater company. I'm happy here. And they part in the most civil and adult and kind way. I was like, this is so like evolved. This is so mature. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was because what did he say? Like that he just didn't like want to hate her or didn't want to hate the relationship exactly. or something. And I mean, and I think the hopeless romantic in me uh, wants to think like, oh, you meet your person and you live happily ever after. But, you know, I think that there are relationships sometimes that really are not like it doesn't mean the relationship failed no. because it didn't last your whole life. It just some relationships like serve a purpose for the time that they're happening and then they end. And that doesn't mean that anybody did anything bad or that it should have never happened mm-hmm. or that they don't still love and support each other. Right. That yeah. you can, yeah. And I have known some people, I've, I've dated some men who, had amazing relationships with their ex and we're like, Oh, we like our relationship has gotten so much better since we got divorced. Um, because being, they just weren't a good fit to be partners. Right. So, so meanwhile at the beach house, we're back to the beach house. Yes. Beaches. Hillary gets pregnant by the fire with her asshole husband. Oh yeah. I forgot that that like milestone happened. You know what's in the background? There's Franzia. Remember the wine? Oh, yeah, yeah, which is like is it like cheap ass right, box like, wine? I, I like I thought you guys are rich. Right. Like, like, where's uh, the dom? Like what's happening yeah. here? It, no. On? No. So Yeah. And I think we also kind of get a hint in that scene that things aren't great between them because she's like, "Oh, it, like we're so great when we're here. Like when we're away from life, you know, we're right. great." But then he has to go the next morning. No, he gets up from the fire where they just made the baby and he's like, "Okay, I'm leaving. Got to go." Mm. He mm. leaves her there. Yeah. He had to go back and to work. And later we know why. <laughs> so, 
Hillary returns home sooner than expected. And even on the drive up the, the driveway, because it got rained out at the beach, their staff is looking at her like, like, oh shit. Because they know her right, they're asshole like, this is, husband this is bad. <laughs> has the lady in her own robe eating breakfast at the table. Yeah. Cece's career is not going so well. She's on set on a movie. She punches a movie director. Things are going shitty. She's continuing to write Hillary. No reply. Yeah. Then Hillary finds out that Cece is performing in San Francisco at the Pink Palm, which is really a janky nightclub that, quote, looks like a flamingo threw up in here. Such a great line. And like, so accurate. <laughs> yes, it is so accurate. And so Hillary decides to go pay her a visit. So Hillary walks in and we see Cece in that horrible, bedazzled, cold shoulder denim shirt. Oh, God, it's so 80s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. remember? Like, it's yeah, not, it's not good. It now. It's not good. And um, she's super cold to Hillary. She's pissed. Yeah. Cece's like, you took away our friendship without even discussing it with me, which she did. She said, in regard to their friendship, I trusted it. I believed in it, but you didn't. And now it's gone. I don't forgive you. Yeah, it's that that was a rough part for sure. And I think that of the two of them, Hillary like Hillary was pretty cold, right? And and she kind of only reaches out to her best friend when like the rest of her life crumbles. Do you think this is why she reaches out? Right. Yeah. I think that now she needs a friend. Now I don't have anybody. Like my world has crumbled. My husband. I mean, it seems like, well, yeah, her husband left her for this other woman, married this other woman, right? The husband's just gone. Right. Although clearly she got a good settlement because she got the house. Um, (laughs) And so she's pregnant. She has no one. And, you know, her parents have died. Her Aunt Vesta apparently is still somewhere. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, so she needs support. So she goes to Cece, which is understandable, right? But it's also understandable that Cece would be like, great. You, you weren't know. there for me when I needed you. But similarly to when Hillary slept with John, Cece does get over it fairly quickly in that scene. When she learns that she's pregnant. She does. I mean, Hillary does say, I was jealous. She said, you did everything you said you were going to do. Everything. And your talent. This incredible talent. I can't even yodel. (laughs) I mean, yodeling is actually really hard. Oh, my God, right? (laughs) And Cece's like, what's yodeling got to do with it? She admits that she's always been envious of Hillary. She's got beauty she's she's so smart this is when cc says hillary you got so fat right and hillary's like i'm not fat i'm having a baby right but does she also say i'm three months pregnant i don't I think know. she says like i'm not fat i'm three months pregnant and i'm like You're like that's nothing sister most people aren't you don't show yeah not really like- i mean not really unless it's your second and then you do show pretty early but yeah right it's her first but, yeah it was just funny like i was like Huh. So Hillary reveals she's going to, you know, her husband left. Da, 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 da. She's going to raise her baby as a single mother. And Cece thinks it's absolutely wonderful. And this is when we get the song Baby Mine. Beautiful, mm-hmm. 
beautiful set to the baby nesting montage, which everybody loves a montage. Right. Painting in the nursery. Buying the stuff. Yeah. And I mean, really, if you think about it, this is sort of, I mean, she tried to do it when she was younger, but this is really where Hillary kind of decides to be her own person, right? Like she kind of does this thing that now seems super common, right? People have babies in all sorts of different circumstances, but then particularly for somebody who was so of a certain type of society, like that was just not done. And so she decides to be really courageous and um, stand on her own. So this is a real turning point in Hillary's character development. Yes. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. So Cece meets Hillary's OB who just, who knows Cece Bloom thinks a world of her. Right. Who is conveniently divorced. (laughs) Right. Conveniently divorced. They go on a date and she tells him she'd give it all up if she met the right guy. Like she's all talking motherhood with him. Right. Like I'm going to leave this glossy because her, her career's not going well. She's willing to leave it all behind to be a doctor's wife, to be a doctor's wife and be a mom. Right. Like, and I don't see Cece Bloom in that role. Not that she couldn't do it, but like just giving it all up. She needs too right. much. She needs too much attention to give it all up. Yeah. And I think she, I think she's just drunk on, on Hillary's pending baby. Right. And I think she's kind of trying to imagine a different life and she's probably maybe a little lost in her own life. And, um, you know, and here's this doctor who, who's giving her a lot of attention. Oh yeah. Thinks she's amazing. And, and yeah, whoa, all of a sudden they're going to get married. They're engaged. Okay. Keep in mind, the baby hasn't been born yet. Let's say she was three months pregnant. Less than six months have gone by. Oh, yeah. Way less than six months. Yeah, Yeah. totally. So they're engaged now. And then she gets a call for the part of a lifetime to revive her career. And she packs up and she's got to leave because she's got this part. And basically, she's leaving Hillary to clean up her freaking mess with the doctor. Yeah, she's like, I can't face him. Exactly. And we learn it's not just Hillary's doctor. He's also her friend. Right. It's horrible. That's like breaking up with somebody with a post-it note. (laughs) Actually, a post-it note would have been more personal. (laughs) Awful. And so Cece arrives at John's theater. And so he's the the one who wanted her. Yeah. Yeah. Not romantically. Just as friends. As friends. Now Hillary's in labor. And she's there to to be with Hillary while she's in labor and she sees the doctor and, oh, guess what, Katie? He's already engaged to he's, somebody else. No, no, no. He's married. Oh, he's married? I wrote he's already engaged. No, he's married. Oh, she's my like, God. I heard you got married. And I'm like, so wait, he was going to marry her. And now that ended. He was heartbroken, but he's already married. And this baby still hasn't, it's like just now being born. Girl, any port in the storm. Seriously, like right? Whew, that doctor wanted to be married. Married, he he was the marrying kind. Yes, clearly. So, of course, Hillary's in labor, but everything always has to be about Cece. Cece passes out, gets all the attention. Oh my right. god! Yes, Cece. Yeah, so there she is, just trying to have a baby by herself. <laughs> Crazy. So Hillary has a daughter named Victoria Cecilia. So. Yeah. So she named the middle name after Cece. That's lovely. Yes. So Hillary's a single mom, right? Like yep. it's a tough job. It's a really tough job. She's often breathless and tired. 
and she's working a lot and she ends up collapsing in the courthouse and she's diagnosed with viral cardiomyopathy, which is basically a virus in her heart. And this is when I think it's going to rain today plays. And we see Cece in studio for her new album. And we also see Hillary researching everything she can find out. Because in the 80s, (laughs) you had to go to the library and get a bunch of medical textbooks to look up your condition. There was no WebMD. No. There was no Dr. Google. There was just... A pile, and you had to like ask the librarian because what do you? I mean, she's a lawyer, but what does she know about finding medical books? Exactly, and she did what Hillary does best, right? Like, like yeah. she takes the really cerebral approach to everything. Like, I'm going to find right. out everything I can about this, and you know, I think it's going to rain today. This was a song that I often sung wrong. The lyrics. <laughs> yes. Lori made up, which is so interesting because like you're a big Elton John fan. Huge. And if there is an artist that like one might sing the wrong words to, <laughs> it might be Elton John Perhaps. because sometime, but you don't seem to have that issue with Elton John, but this song, I believe that your rendition. So the actual, <laughs> the actual rendition <laughs> is broken windows and empty hallways, right? Which this makes sense, right? There's sort of a sense of like loneliness and abandonment and that sort of thing. Lori's version was frozen windows and inexplicably dandelions. (laughs) (laughs) Which frozen windows and dandelions. (laughs) Okay, wait, I feel the need to explain this. So Windows can be frozen. Like that that could. I have had frozen windows. But correct me if I'm wrong. If the windows are indeed frozen, there ain't no dandelions anywhere. I mean, unless there's a freak spring storm, a a big cold snap. And, you know, in my brain, because that's how you always sung it I always pictured like this hallway like this a dingy hallway with like a brown painted window frame and in my dream that for whatever reason the frozen window was actually broken like it was like cold or air not dream in my mind uh (laughs) cold air like flowing through it and then like a pot of dandelions like planted on the table under the window that were like because they were dying from the cold. I mean, so that's some powerful imagery, right? But uh, not actually what the song says. (laughs) No, and I sang it that way for a long time. I guess the lyrics were not in the liner notes. This is what I'm thinking. It's very moody. It's very sad. It's actually a really lovely song. It is. It is. If you need to be in your feelings for a time, perhaps looking out of a frozen window. Yeah with some dandelions, you you might want to consider putting this on your Spotify, but Hillary needs a heart transplant, like straight up, right? She needs an organ donor, but she has a rare tissue type. Because she clearly has a very severe form of viral cardiomyopathy because often people just get better from this. Like it doesn't. Oh, they do? Yeah. Like there's different levels of it. And, and she clearly has the severe one. She got it bad. Yeah. She's like, school's almost out. I want to go to the beach house for the summer because she knows. Well, they were going to go to the beach house. They had plans because remember the little girl was like, I don't want to go for the whole summer. Who am I going to play with before she collapses? 
you're right. Yeah, because she's like, I have this flu I can't shake. I just want to go and relax. And I'm tired. Um, I'm tired. And the girl's like, you're always tired. Right. You know, she ends up inviting Cece to join them. She mm-hmm. and Victoria. Because she can't go by herself because she's so weak. Right. To go to the beach house for the summer. And so, of course, the beach. Here we are. <laughs> Hence beaches. Yes. Then we see what I think is really interesting in the arc of Cece's character is that Cece and Victoria are like struggling living in the same space, like because they're both used to having all of their mom's attention, right? Yes, they're very similar. Yeah. And I mean, in all honesty, like Cece's being super petty considering this is a child. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) And, uh, but she is funny, like, and how she just like kind of struts around like, "Mm, you little thing. But then she starts to actually like play with her and they have, uh, they start to kind of build a better relationship. But also Cece's like very real with her. Like Cece doesn't mince words or whatever. She, she just tells it to her like it is. But Hillary seeing them together when she's unwell and depressed and all of this stuff gets upset. She does. And there's this really beautiful moment where she is inside and she's watching them through the window and they're together and they're having fun and she's smiling because it gives her joy to see both of them happy. And then her face changes and Mm -hmm. it's like, wow, because imagine like how absolutely heartbreaking and bittersweet at the same time to see this beautiful relationship unfolding and developing and yet knowing my time is limited. Like it's just, it's very, very sad. It's very sad. And there's also, so then they, they have a little bit of an argument about it because uh, Cece's like, get out of your pajamas. Like you're not dead yet, you know? And I, I think it's in this scene towards the end of it. And she says something like, I know everything there is to know about you. And I have a very long memory. Yes. And Hillary said, and after she leaves, Hillary says, I'm counting on it. I'm counting on it. Exactly. You nailed it. Hillary and Victoria return home. Cece goes to perform. At the Hollywood Bowl. And Victoria is going to come and spend some time with her. I'm going to a Cece Bloom concert is what she says. So Hillary and Victoria are home preparing for her to go and um, Hillary collapses and Victoria discovers her mom and starts begging for her to get up and she's screaming and oh my God, oh, I started to cry. This is when I started to cry. It is a very powerful scene because she's like, get up, get up. I don't know what to do. And she's saying, please, please. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Cece arrives to the hospital and she finds a very, very sick Hillary. And Hillary tells her she wants to go home. This is when Wind Beneath My Wings begins to play. Yes. So Cece takes Hillary and Victoria to the beach house where beaches, Kate, we're back at the beach. They're at the beach in (laughs) case you missed it. Like I did when I was 12. (laughs) Yeah. So So they're at the beach house and Victoria and Hillary have all these really beautiful, special moments together. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. While Cece watches from afar, Kitty. And here's a fun fact. You can go and visit the actual beaches beach house. Where is it? Okay. It's cottage number 13 in the Crystal Cove Historic District in Newport Beach. 
Oh, it's in Newport. It is. It's in Newport. And it's been made into a museum of the film. You can oh. visit it. I love oh. Crystal Cove. Oh my God. It's paradise. It's beautiful. I feel like I want to go visit it. Super cool. Yeah. We see uh, Hillary and Cece watch the sunset together at the beach. Mm-hmm. And then this transitions into a scene with Cece and Victoria at the cemetery. She yeah. has passed. And so, and they address this later because I'm thinking, where's this kid's dad? Like she has another parent, you know? I mean, he's so completely uninvolved in her life. We learn. Yeah. Cause she says to Cece at one point, does my father know she died? And she's like, I don't know. I don't know, honey. And I don't know. The little girl's like, I know who he is. I've seen him on the street twice. So like they have no interaction. So, I mean, I'm glad they threw that in there. Cause I was kind of like, in most cases, when one parent dies and the other one's still alive, like the kid goes to that other parent. So Right. Cece reveals to Victoria that her mother wanted her to live with her. And she admits to her, like, straight up, I'm selfish. I have no idea what kind of mother I'll make, but there's nothing in the world that I want more than to be with you. And, um, you know, she tells her, everybody wants you. Right. Everyone wants you. You could go wherever you want. And then she says, she says, can I stay in my house? I know. Which like, uh, like that, like, I mean, I did stay in my house after my mom died, but there was a point where we maybe were going to move. And I remember that feeling really icky to like, think about leaving the house I lived in with my mom. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, all the memories there. And I will tell you like, cause this is not the same, but my parents divorced around the same time that your mom passed away. And and we you did, did move. We yeah. did move. And let me tell you, a divorce is hard, but moving out of my childhood home, that was probably the hardest part for me. I'm not even going to lie. I had so many feelings about that. I mean, it's your whole world when it you're a kid. Broke like, my that's heart. all you know. And, and my friends were on that street. And it was just right. I mean, we did live on like a crazy, like idyllic suburban street where like yeah. all of almost all of the kids were the same, same age. age. And, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was we like pretty played magical. all summer. Like, yeah, kind of crazy. That was the hardest part for me. So when yeah. she said, Can I stay in my house? I was like, Oh, the memories yeah. of your mother, everything you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it's hard. Um, also, like, Sometimes when people go through trauma, your brain sort of like sequesters some of the bad stuff so that you like your memories are a little weird or like your sense of time is weird. So my mom died in November of 1988. This movie came out in December of 1988. And we went together to go see this movie. (laughs) And like, I don't. Rem- I mean, but again, like my memories of that time in my life are not spectacular. Like it's a credit to this movie that I remember as much of it as I do. I don't remember like feeling that, like feeling Victoria's pain when she just lost her mother. No, I think what I remember, like this is also a weird thing that people's brains do. I think I remember being like, oh, poor thing. She was so young, <laughs> you know, because I was 12 and she was 11. Right. But I also remember at one point in high school, so this would have been a few years later, one of the girls that we went to school with, her mom died. I can't remember. I feel like it was like unexpected. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, that poor girl. That's so terrible. I just, I feel so awful for her. And somebody was like, what? Like, what? Like your mom passed away too. Yeah. So like there was this sort of weird like sense of like dissociation or something uh-huh. from the fact that like 
I too had suffered that sort of loss. But it's so yeah, it is weird that it came out so close and it had so many parallels. Yes. Um, so yeah, and just interesting timing and interesting that I'd be like, yeah, let's go see this movie and let's watch it a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah, I really like it. Maybe there's some sort of catharsis from I the movie. No. So Victoria agrees to live with her. Yeah, because she can bring her cat. She can bring Pouncer Pouncer the Wonder Cat. Yes. So there's a scene in the movie where Victoria is on her very sprawling front lawn of her very fancy house. And she's playing with Pouncer Pouncer. And is Pouncer in a dress or something? Is Pouncer dressed up in that Yeah, scene? I think so. Yeah. So she's like playing with Pouncer Pouncer the Wonder Cat and like making the cat do all these like acrobatics and stuff, uh, which Lori <laughs> had a cat. Was it Muffin? Was it was Muffin. Muffin. So I had this cat named Muffin and I was an only child. Okay. Like I loved sure. she was. Muffin and I had a song for Muffin that I, that I wrote. I will yes. have you know. Oh, I had a song for my cat that I had as an adult. Okay, well, I was a child, so that was a lot more reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good song. She liked it when I sang it to her. I, I had a song for Muffin. I used to, like, kind of dress Muffin. I used to make Muffin paper crowns very often. Oh, but yeah, on you her did make paper pictures. crowns. Yeah. And you also... Made her do like somersaults and things. Like you were like, look at Muffin learned a new trick. <laughs> like this poor cat was like, <laughs> I did, but Muffin was chill. Muffin rolled with it, and I was never like, I never harmed. Uh, no cats were harmed in the in the making of my childhood, Kate, and, and my childhood entertainment. It was all done with love. Yeah, like she she wasn't abusing Muffin. Although I do imagine <laughs> that if Muffin had her way she maybe wouldn't have done so many acrobatic stunts <laughs> no muffin would not have trained for the olympics but right, she did right. and um i love that cat so much and when we moved out of my childhood home muffin ran away yeah from my new home so i lost my cat and i lost my house almost at the same right. time and which that is yeah was, that's rough that was really one of the hardest things for me. I feel like that almost doesn't sound that serious, but like to me in that time, it really, really yeah, was. no, I remember that. Yeah. And it it's, was. and, and it also like, you know, your first pets or so, cause you got misty later, right? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, but just, uh, just not the same. Not the you, same. Know, you can't really replace a pet. So yeah. Oh my God. I feel like I want to cry right now. I actually feel a little bit sad, but okay. Aww. So this is when we, we hear the song. The Glory of Love, the song that she, not to be confused with like Peter Cetera's Glory of Love from Body Kit 2. (laughs) No, like the song that opened, you know, the movie essentially. When um, Maya Bialik was not singing that song, but was doing a really good job lip syncing it. Yes. So that song begins to play and we transition to uh, Cece performing the song in concert as Victoria watches off stage. And after the show... Cece and Victoria leave hand in hand while Cece begins telling her about the first time she met her mother. And then we hear Cece and Hillary as children say, be sure to keep in touch, Cece, okay? And then Cece says, well, sure, we're friends, aren't we? And the film ends with the scenes of the young kids taking pictures in the photo booth. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> 
You know, Wind Beneath My Wings made it to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts, and it won Grammys for like Record of the Year and Song of the Year in 1990. So yeah, yeah. it did very well. And the film was actually also nominated for an Academy Award for Best Art Direction. Interesting. This is very interesting. The producers had plans on making a sequel to the film. Okay. Based on the 1991 sequel to the novel called Beaches 2, I'll Be There. And in the book, I was reading a review from Publishers Weekly. This is apparently what happens. I will have you know. So it begins right where Beaches, the book slash film, left off. And for the next seven years, the two, Cece and Victoria, who in the book is named Nina, by the way, uh, the two create a marriage of opposites. Cece adopts mothering with her usual gaudy vitality as Nina, or Victoria, tries to overcome her revulsion for Cece's disorderly lifestyle, which includes workaholic compulsions, affairs with unstable men, and career ups and downs. Sounds so dark. Like it is not the happy ending that we all as viewers had hoped. Are picturing as they go. Yeah, up the for, for yeah. Cece and, and Victoria. So which I mean maybe like more in line with how things shake out in real life, but like, come on. <laughs> right. So like, I'm glad it wasn't made because I feel like it would have really like tarnished the memory of the original beaches. And strangely, they wanted Barbara Eden, Barbara Eden. I dream like of Jeannie. Jeannie? Yes. <laughs> in the lead. And in 1991, she was 60 years old. Yeah, that's so strange. Yeah. I don't understand. So it didn't happen, which Yay. So there's also a reboot. So they did do a remake of the film in 2017 with Dina Menzel as Cece and Nia Long as Hillary. Did you see it? I didn't even know it existed until I searched for beaches on my streaming service and it popped up and I was like, what? Okay. I watched it. I was excited about it. I watched it on Lifetime in real time. And even recently in my Facebook memories, it popped up where I was like, oh, the Beaches remake, this was not good. I posted all about oh. it. No, it didn't, it didn't hold up. Yeah, that's too bad. But I mean, also, so there's just some things like it's very hard to improve on the original. Yeah. And Adina Menzel, like she's an amazing performer, obviously. Oh, like right. so much talent, you know? So it's not even like like she wasn't good in the role. It was just, it didn't need to happen. The original version holds up pretty well because it is sort of a snapshot of different times in their lives. So it's not like you're like, oh, like this is so dated because like, of course it's dated. Parts of it are, you know, they a grew long time up. ago. Right. Yeah. Yes. So did you enjoy it as much on the rewatch as you thought you would? <sighs> I feel like this is the unpopular answer, but no, um, I, I enjoyed it. I felt like the plot could have moved along. I like. I felt like it could have been edited a little bit better. Mm, so you're questioning Gary Marshall. Sorry, Gary. Uh, yeah, I. I don't think that I would watch it again. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I feel good about it. I'm glad it exists in the world. Right. It was fun to revisit it and like think mm-hmm. about all of those things. But, but yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. 
So, okay, Kate. So I'm doing a thing with season three where I ask some important lightning round questions. And it's just a fun way for listeners to get a little more insight into who you are and the things you like. So I would like to begin. This is a first thing that comes to mind sort of thing. Okay. I'm really bad at these, but okay. Let us begin. Center yourself, Kate. All right. Pearl Jam or Nirvana? Pearl Jam, 100%. Same, same. Best fast food fries? Oh, this is hard. So at one time, I would have said McDonald's. Okay. But I have not been able to get a decent French fry from McDonald's in quite some time now. So I am going to say Jack in the Box curly fries. Mm, Okay. Favorite 90s fragrance? CK1. A classic. Mm. A classic, yes. Mm -hmm. Did you ever own a bucket hat? No. Good call on that. (laughs) (laughs) I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. We've actually done an episode on this, but here we go. Brandon or Dylan? Dylan. Yeah, I know. And okay, because you were a Felicity fan, Ben or Noel? Noel. Okay, Ben's the bad boy. Why did you choose Noel? Yeah, it's very against type for me, isn't it? It is. Okay. We've talked about this also. What was your first car? Oh, Oh, wait, can I answer this? Because I feel like it's like my security question. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, you can do a hard pass. I think we've talked about it in the Can't Buy Me Love episode. It was a Honda. Okay, it was a Honda. Fair enough. Uh, Were you a latchkey kid? Some of the time. Like, so, like, my mom was a stay-at-home mom for large portions of my childhood, She was also in school for large portions of my childhood. She got her bachelor's and her master's degree while I was a kid. So there were times that I was like, for sure, like, I can remember waiting outside of school (laughs) Uh, when my brother would like have to come get me like he was in middle school and he had to come get me at the elementary school and then we'd walk home together. And there were a couple of times where he just didn't come. <laughs> oh, Pat. Everyone knows Pat. Friend of the pod, Pat. Yeah. Yes. Oh, right. You guys know Pat. And like, I don't know what happened in those scenarios. Like, did he go to a friend's house after school? I don't know. So Okay. Well, this is related to that. What was your after school snack of choice? <sighs> Food was a weird thing in my house. Uh, so we didn't have, we, we did not have the good food that was at Lori's house. Yeah. <laughs> but we had um, a lot of junk. So, like, the, the like treat that we had at my house was a tiger milk bar. Oh, okay. That was like, that was like our version of a candy bar. Okay. Film that traumatized you most. As a child. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Like, I'm still a little traumatized by this movie, and we definitely need to revisit this at some yes, point on the pod. I know you have very strong feelings about it. This is aside from the elect- electric grandmother. Oh, yeah. No, the electric grandmother was, like, endearing and lovely compared to this movie, which was, I believe, a Disney movie called Watchers in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Still gives me, like... Kate still has scars. We fear. talk about it often. Yes. Yeah. Like, how was this a kid's movie? Okay. We'll save that for another episode. First concert. Bon Jovi Skid Row. Because I'm cool like that. We talked about this in the Skid Row episode. Yeah, yeah. No new kids on the block. Okay, this takes us to my first concert. 
What is your favorite Elton John song? Which, what is my favorite? I've never really spent a lot of time thinking about this. Well, that's a shame. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about this question. Okay. I'm also notoriously bad at knowing the titles to songs, even of people that I really love. Okay. But like, is it my song? Your song. Your song. Yes. Which is my wedding song. Yes. Oh, look at that. Yes. It's just, it's beautiful, right? Oh, totally it's simple it's beautiful it's It's heartfelt yeah that's a good answer i mean yeah he has he has a lot of really good songs but yes yes. but that one's just quite poetic well kate thank you so much for coming back for joining me to cover beaches i would love to have you back again there are so many movies and albums and music videos from our childhood that we experienced together that it's just so fun to revisit with you and so come back, join my Patreon, come back. Yes. We can do an episode there on some iconic yes. TV. Yes. You guys, I'm just, I've been looking forward to this day with Kate for so long. I know it's been fun. It's been really fun to be back. And I wish that my life was more conducive to doing it more often, but I love that people are still listening. And like, I hope that this is a little fun rewind to season one. We're kicking it back. Right. And like, I will, I will be back. But in the meantime, you get to hear from some like really awesome other people and get their perspectives because I mean, let's face it, like CC, I can sometimes like uh, take the spotlight. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I'm sure that I will be back for more episodes and yeah, maybe we'll do a Patreon and, uh, you can, you can get some special content over there. Yeah. I know that you joined my Patreon. I appreciate it. I and I know that you're having fun over there. You also have one with Kenny, right? Kenny did. I uh, do. We did yeah. a Different Strokes episode on the bicycle man. You guys check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash the Untitled Gen X podcast. And you can help support the pod and get exclusive content there. And it's super easy. I had never done Patreon before. So I was like, ah, this feels like it's going to be complicated. It's not. It's not. They like send you updates right to your email and you can click on it. Like super easy. You don't have to do a whole lot of stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend it. Great. Thank you, Kate. And you guys, Gen Xers, thank you so much for joining me on the first episode of season three. Hit that subscribe button and keep coming back week after week because I have some good stuff coming. Like, I don't mean to brag, but I mean to brag. I'm just the beginning. It's really good, right? <laughs> right? She's just the beginning. So let's see here. You can find us on the web at the Untitled Gen X podcast. And as always, we hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.